0: As Andrew said before, we're looking at the book of Isaiah this morning, and we're going to read from page 738 in the Church Bibles, chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the baals, and they burned incel- incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realise it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts the child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart has changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against faithful, holy one. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading from his word.
1: I wonder if you have a favourite love story. Uh, I think uh, for me... Uh, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, would have to be up there with my uh, favourite love story and uh, perhaps I think actually uh, it, it's a bit of a favourite in our household. I uh, recently heard that uh, our sons down in Brisbane had had a Pride and Prejudice uh, viewing party at their house to introduce their mates to this uh, wonderful story so uh, that was certainly a, a proud uh, father moment. Uh, but uh, uh, it is, uh, it is a, a great love story, and like many love stories, it centers around uh, the, the, uh, the, the barriers that stand in the way of two people uh, getting together. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, in Pride and Prejudice, the barriers of uh, the two people getting together, Miss Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy, uh, the barriers are, well, as the title of the book suggests, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, their own pride and prejudice and those around them. On, on the one side, uh, Elizabeth uh, is prejudiced against Mr. Darcy because he seems to be a very standoffish person and she hears these terrible rumours about things that he's done and she believes them and so she's prejudiced against him. On the other side, uh, Mr. Darcy is proud Uh, He's proud of his position as a very wealthy man and he looks down on Elizabeth because of her less wealthy and socially awkward family. And so these are the barriers to these two uh, people getting together. But, of course, in this love story, uh, they uh, do manage to recognise their own pride and prejudice and uh, without giving too many spoilers away, they, they, they get married and live happily ever after, in case you're wondering. Now... Pride and prejudice aren't they difficult things to overcome in a relationship? But this morning we're going to see a barrier in a relationship that's way, way bigger than pride or prejudice. Uh, the barrier that we see in a relationship uh, in the prophet uh, in, in the life of Hosea uh, is something far worse. Hosea tells us the story of a relationship. Uh, Where there's not just pride and prejudice, but where there is unfaithfulness, where there is betrayal, where there is adultery. According to Hosea, this incredibly painful and difficult love story, uh, it's not just something for entertainment, it's not just something for you to invite your mates around to uh, watch uh, one afternoon. This love story is a picture of God's relationship with us. This love story illustrates for us the incredible power and the incredible perseverance of the love that God has for his people. Now before we look at the story of uh, uh, Hosea itself, I want to briefly introduce to you uh, the Minor Prophets as a whole. That's the series that we're looking at this term and the Minor Prophets are actually uh, a group of uh, 12 prophets who brought a message, uh, messages from God to people in the second half of the Old Testament... Uh, these messages, they were actually all collected together into a single book called the Book of the Twelve. And so that's why we're kind of studying them all together. As been mentioned, we're actually only, only doing 10 of the 12. Uh, we've already done Jonah and Amos before, and we only had 10 weeks uh, in the lead up to Christmas. So uh, we're, we're sticking with 10. But it's really helpful to look at all these books together as a collection, because in many ways they share similar themes and uh, similar settings. And so, of course, looking at one book every week, we're not going to be looking at every verse in any kind of detail, but I think we're still going to be able to get a really good understanding of the Minor Prophets as a whole, because uh, they share these similar themes and, uh, and, and a similar setting. Now a real key to understanding the minor prophets is to understand that they are speaking to people in a covenant relationship with God. A covenant, as we're going to see, if you're not familiar with that, uh, we're about to see in the book of Hosea. Uh, a covenant is like a marriage. A ma- marriage is probably the most common covenant relationship. It's a relationship where two parties uh, come together and make commitments to one another. The covenant between God and Israel, well, that was made at Mount Sinai around the year 1500 BC, after God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, And if you want to read all the details of the covenant between Israel and God, you can go back and look at the books of Exodus, uh, where the covenant is first made, and then Leviticus and Deuteronomy I give you all sorts of details of the covenant. But at its most basic... The covenant agreement was that God had rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and he uh, made them into his special people and he wanted them to become uh, not just a special people to him but actually to become a, uh, a blessing to the whole world. And the agreement was that if they kept the covenant by worshipping God and by loving their neighbours in the ways that God wanted them to, then God would give them great blessing in the land, in the promised land that he was giving them. But if they did not keep the covenant, if they broke the covenant and worshipped other gods, if they failed to love their neighbours, well then they would experience punishment and suffering and eventually lose their promised land altogether. So that is the covenant relationship that lies uh, in in the background as all of these prophets bring their messages to the people of Israel. This marriage-like relationship between God and Israel This relationship where uh, God has responsibility to love and to care for his people. The people have the responsibility to obey God and to worship him alone. Well, as we come to the book of Hosea, we fast forward about 800 years uh, from that uh, original covenant-making wedding at Mount Sinai. Uh, There's uh, a timeline... Oh, lost my timeline... Oh, there we go. Sorry, we're working together here with the, uh, me and the guy at the back. Uh, so, um, so there's a bit of a, a timeline of, the, uh, of the, the minor prophets as a whole. Uh, you can see that uh, as the prophets are bringing their messages, the Kingdom of Israel has split into two. Uh, that was around 930 B.C. Uh, there's a northern kingdom uh, called Israel, uh, they were the breakaways that they left behind uh, the rest of the people and, and went to form their, their own kingdom, uh, but it was actually 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel are there in Israel. And then in the, uh, in the, uh, the original kingdom uh, that uh, was the kingdom of King David and the kingdom where Jerusalem is, uh, that is the kingdom of Judah and uh, that is uh, the, the southern kingdom that is called Judah. Now Hosea, uh, you can see him there on the diagram hopefully, uh, he's prophesying about 740 BC, so uh, about 200 years after the kingdom splits uh, into Israel and, uh, and Judah. He's mainly based in the north, uh, speaking to Israel, but you'll hear him refer to Judah in some of the verses as well. Now you can see the setting of Hosea in the very first verse of the book, uh, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Biri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, southern kingdom, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, the northern kingdom. So that's the setting, that's where uh, Hosea is bringing the word of God. Well, what does Hosea have to say to the people of Israel? The message is that their covenant with him is not going well and Hosea is to illustrate how badly the covenant is going with uh, in a graphic way. Uh, Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, then the Lord uh, began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for Adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore a son. It's shocking, isn't it? Isaiah is deliberately to go and marry someone here that he knows will be unfaithful to him. Because that is the tragic picture of God's relationship with Israel. They've been in a covenant with him, but they have been unfaithful. And not only is Hosea to marry an unfaithful wife uh, to show Israel what's been going on, he's also to have uh, children and uh, give them these names, which I suspect were not on the most popular list of names of Israel at the time. Uh, He's to call his children uh, Jezreel which uh, was a famous site of an evil massacre by one of the kings of Israel. Uh, The second one is to call Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, because that is how God should feel about Israel, how they behaved. And the third one is to be called Lo-Ami, which means not my people, because Israel should no longer be God's people. The names of Hosea's children, along with uh, his relationship with Gomer, uh, they illustrate the state of the relationship between God and Israel. It should be over. They've been horribly evil and unfaithful to him. And by all rights, he should not love them anymore. He should not have them as his special people anymore. And Hosea does go on to say that there will be a time of separation in this relationship. God is going to allow uh, Israel to be conquered by a foreign nation and be scattered in exile. Uh, About 20 years after Hosea gives his prophecy, uh, Israel is conquered by the nation of Assyria and taken away into exile. But even as this is the way that the relationship should be, it is actually not the end of the story. Even as God gives Hosea, tells Hosea to give his children these names that so gra- graphically illustrate the end of his relationship with them, God, in spite of himself, still has incredible love and compassion that signs through. Have a look in verse 10. Yet... In spite of everything, God says, yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. While well, the unfaithfulness of Israel should have, given end, uh, should have given birth to the end of the covenant, the end of the special relationship that God had with Israel, His love is actually more powerful than they can imagine. His love is so powerful that in spite of everything that's happened, again, they will be called His children, again, they will be called His loved ones. And if we skip down to chapter 3, we see that Isaiah is called to illustrate God's unfailing love by going and getting back, to go, getting back together with Goma again after she's been unfaithful. The Lord said to me, "'Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes.'" So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer uh, and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. It's not clear exactly uh, what is going on uh, with Goma in uh, in kind of... Uh, in. The situation of her life. Uh, maybe she has uh, been in a relationship with some other guy and has debts that uh, Hosea uh, pays off. Maybe uh, she's been working as a prostitute and Hosea basically goes and, 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 and uh, buys her out of that, that situation. Whatever's going on there though, it would be right in a human relationship for Hosea to say, this marriage is done this relationship is over. This is irreparably broken. There, there is no way back from here. In any human relationship would guess that that would be the case. But not for God. God says to Hosea, no, go renew your relationship with Goma. Go and set her free from whatever mess she's gotten herself into. Pay whatever price you need to and take her back to be your faithful and beloved wife. Hosea is to do this because this is how God is going to treat his people. Just as Hosea loves Goma in spite of her betrayal, God is going to keep loving his people in spite of their betrayal. It's hard, isn't it, to think of a more kind of confronting picture that God could have chosen to show his commitment to his people. On the one hand, the, the illustration of the offense and the pain and the p- betrayal of the people committing spiritual adultery. On the other hand, the power and the perseverance of God's love commitment to them. This love that will not let go. Now for the people Hosea was speaking to, God's demonstration of his powerful love was actually something that was really going to be in the future. Uh, The demonstration of his love was something that was going to come on the other side of this painful separation of exile. But that's not the case for us, is it? We're here now, two and a half thousand years later, and we know how God was true to his word here. We know the ultimate evidence of God's powerful and persevering love. As the Apostle Paul says, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't come and die for people because we were attractive to him. He didn't come and die for us because we'd treated him so well and, uh, and, uh, and had loved him so truly. He died for us while we were sinners. He died for us while we were like Goma, while we were unfaithfully worshipping all kinds of idols and other gods and ignoring our Creator. And not only did Christ die for us to bring forgiveness and show his love, he welcomed us back to be God's people again. Apostle Peter says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, I remember this verse from last term, once you were not a people, once you were low a me, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One of the really difficult things in life is when you are abandoned by others. Abandoned by those who are close to you, uh, perhaps by a parent or a spouse or a friend. People who you thought were going to be there who might stick with you through thick and thin and then they didn't follow through. Uh, Maybe they stopped loving you when things got difficult or messy. Uh, Maybe actually deep down you know that you contributed to it and a lot of it was your fault. If you've ever had that experience of being abandoned, it can be... Really difficult, can have a big impact on your life, on your confidence, on your mental health. But Hosea reminds us that God's love will never let us go. However much we might have been unfaithful to Him, however much we might have turned our backs on Him and abandoned Him and worshipped other things, He will always love us. He will always forgive us. He will always be ready to say that you belong to him. We really like the words of that song that we just uh, sung before. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, I was free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But that is the truth that we see illustrated so graphically in the story of Hosea and uh, Gomer. I hope it's something that you can find great joy and confidence in this week. That's the first three chapters of Hosea. I want to just now very briefly uh, look at what did this unfaithfulness of Israel look like in reality? The first three chapters of the book really give us the kind of the metaphor, the illustration of what that uh, unfaithfulness was like, but what did it actually look like on the ground? What were the Israelites doing uh, that was so unfaithful to God? Well, Hosea spells out this in more detail in chapters 4 to 14 and uh, perhaps uh, we can start in chapter 4 uh, verses 1 and 2 and uh, you can uh, see going we look at this, this is the story of God and Israel and... Uh, If you look at verses 1 and 2, I know you can pick up the echoes of the Ten Commandments in these verses. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of the land. There is no only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Ten Commandments were probably the best summary of Israel's responsibility to the covenant and sadly, God says to them, you are breaking every single one. From failing to love God with all your heart through to lying, murdering, stealing and adultery, The Israelites have been living in a way that has turned their back on what God wanted them to do. But beyond the breaking of the Ten Commandments, there were two things the Israelites were doing that Hosea highlights as particularly unfaithful to God. The first was explicitly just worshipping other idols and getting mixed up in the uh, sexual immorality of the fertility cult that went along with some of this worship of idols at the time. Chapter 4, verse 12, Hosea says... My people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to God. They sacrifice on uh, the mountaintops. They burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar and terebinth where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. Instead of worshipping God, instead of looking to God when they had a need, uh, when they wanted guidance the Israelites were turning to idols. When they needed comfort, when they wanted guidance, when they thought they needed assistance with the challenges of life, uh, instead of going to the temple, instead of looking at God's word, they would go down the road to the shrines of their neighbors and worship these idols. I think it'd be kind of easy for us today to kind of scoff at the idolatry of the Israelites. I mean, really, you know, who is going to go and worship a bit of uh, wood or stone and think that that's going to help you? Uh, It seems so silly. But aren't we just as tempted by the idols of our time? Aren't we just as tempted to think that money or our job uh, or sex or individual freedom or whatever it might be, aren't we tempted to think that these things will fix our problems much better than God ever could? Aren't we tempted to think that these, uh, to value them much more than we value God, to think about them much more than we think about God, to sacrifice for them much more than we sacrifice for God? The uh, The outward appearance of the idol's It might have changed since Hosea's time, but the temptation to worship created things rather than the Creator. That remains the same for us as it was for them. But in addition to these religious idols, Israel was especially tempted by a particular idol that we, I think, still struggle with today. They were tempted to value politics above God. They thought that if they could just make the right kind of deal with the right, powerful ally, that it would secure their prosperity and their peace. Uh, moving forward to uh, Hosea chapter seven, uh, he says, "Ephraim is like a oh, uh, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. Israel thought that if they could just make the right alliance with Egypt or with Assyria, uh, then they would have security. But in reality, these alliances could never provide security. And in fact, Assyria, who they hoped would uh, provide them with security, was actually going to be responsible for their destruction as a nation continues to be a temptation today doesn't it to rely on political alliances to provide security for church to see God's will done but as it was in Israel's time so it is in ours political alliances are not the way God works he works when people hear the gospel when they trust in him when they are changed by him And that's actually God's ultimate promise to Israel, that he will not leave them floundering under judgment for their sins and their idolatry forever. Instead, when Hosea gets uh, to the end of of his prophecy after he's, uh, I guess, made the case for their, uh, their unfaithfulness and spiritual adultery, God promises in Hosea chapter 14 that if the people turn away from their idols, and if they come back to him, he will restore them and cleanse them of their sins. Let's look at Hosea chapter 14, verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. God wants the Israelites to come back to him in repentance, to come back to him, giving up the idols that they had be, been worshipping, giving up the value that they had in Assyria, giving up the value that they had in the, the little shrines and stones, uh, idols of stone and wood. And he promises that if they do that, he will heal their waywardness, he will love them freely, And we know that this great promise at the end of Hosea is really a promise about Jesus. Because it's only when Jesus comes that God truly heals the waywardness of His people. It's only through Jesus that actually we get to experience renewed hearts, God's Spirit working in our hearts. So we can begin to turn away from idols, begin to have the power to live for God and to worship Him only. And so I want to invite you today to receive this invitation from God. What are the idols uh, that you have been unfaithful with in your life? Perhaps uh, you have uh, said our God to money. Perhaps you have said my God to sex. Perhaps you've said my God to your job, uh, to your marriage. Uh, Perhaps you have said, my God, to politics. Hosea invites us to turn away from these idols and to come back to God because he is the only one who truly loves us. He is the only one with this powerful and persevering love that will outlast our unfaithfulness and uh, will take us back be his people forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to hear uh, your word from Hosea. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your powerful and persevering love that takes people who deserve to be unloved and deserve to be not your people and brings us back to be your people and to be your loved ones. May we turn away from all other idols. May we value nothing as much as we value you, our God and our Saviour. And may we find ourselves secure and happy and joyful in your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.